Hey, good morning, everyone. I'm John Schmidt, the senior pastor here at Centerpoint, and we just wanted to show you what staff meeting looked like here for our staff. No, uh, actually, that's just a bumper for a series we've entitled Training Camp. And uh, the idea behind it is simply this. In late July, early August, football teams get together for training camp. They get uh, a lot of good work in before the season starts. Everybody gets in shape. Well, they'll be able to make it throughout the rest of the season. And everybody knows their positions. They'll be able to play better from the first down of the first game. They can be useful and productive. Well, wouldn't, wouldn't you want to be useful and productive? Wouldn't I in our Christian life? Sure we would. Well, that's the idea behind this whole series. We're going to give you a lot of training tips as we go through this over the next few weeks. Uh, the Bible makes clear that God wants us to grow. And I think if you came here this morning or if you're watching online, um, that you want to grow too. I do. And the Bible has a lot of encouragement to us on how we can live godly lives. So today, if you've been seeking for instruction, you're going to love this. If you need some encouragement because you go, I just don't know if I can do this, you're going to find that. If you want to have some encouragement to just keep going, you're going to find that too. So I'm going to have a word of prayer for us today. And I hope you leave here today greatly encouraged. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to study your word. It's our guide in all matters of faith and practice. And Lord, you want, us, you want us to practice a faith that amounts to something. So Lord, we want to live good and godly lives. We want to grow in our faith. If you'd like to grow in your faith and be a stronger Christian a year from now than you are today, would you just pray that right now? Just right where you are, God will hear you and say, I want to be stronger in my faith a year from now than I am today. Well, God, we thank you because I know that you hear our prayers. We're praying them in the name of Jesus. Move me out of the way, Lord, and teach us what you want to teach us today about living good and godly lives. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Inside your bulletin, you'll find an outline. It's just got the heading on it of goodness because we're looking at a character trait, a virtue, a um, blessing the Lord gives us through his Holy Spirit. He wants to make us good people. So the goodness is not in terms of, oh, my goodness, but rather goodness. Uh, we want to be good people from the get-go. So point one on your outline is simply this. If you need a pen, by the way, just raise your hand when the ushers bring one to you. God wants us to live godly lives. He doesn't want us to stay where we are. I clarify this with people all the time. People say, well, okay, I'm a Christian. Now what? And they think, well, basically I got to sit around and uh, talk about how hot the weather is here and talk about football for the next 60 years till I die. Got saved. There's nothing else left to do. There's a lot more left to do. And today, you're going to be reminded of that. The Bible says God has good things for us to do here in this world, and we need to get on with it. And we can help each other get on with it. And today's uh, message is uh, designed to be a pep talk, in case you can't tell. Okay, here we go. Second Peter 1. This is Peter talking about this. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. God wants us to live godly lives. We have received all this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he's given us great and precious promises. We're going to hit three of them today in just a minute. There are many more. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. If you would underline the phrase, share his divine nature, we're going to come back to that again. Here's the wonderful news. The good news about having a relationship with Jesus is this. I bring my sorry, raggedy, sinful self to him. He forgives me, cleans me up, empowers me with his Holy Spirit, and changes me from the inside out to become a godly man. That's exactly what happened when I came to Christ. He has been working on me ever since that day. 
changing me to look a little more like Jesus every single day. How do I know that? Because there are three promises here. I could have put 20. I'm going to be hitting a number of promises that we have as we go through this series over the next few weeks. But here's something that's important for us. Here are three promises that are terribly important for us so we can proceed in um, chasing a godly life. First of all, we need to remind ourselves that God has promised us new lives. These promised us a new life through Christ. God has promised us new life through Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul talks about this. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. Would you read that verse out loud with me, please? This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. It doesn't say this means that anyone who belongs to Christ is a little bit better. Now, you know, they'll have to kind of struggle through. You and I, when we come to Christ, he gives us a brand new life, cleans us up, changes us from the inside out. I recite this scripture to people over and over again when they come to me with a drinking problem or a sexual addiction or an anger management issue or some uh, problem in their life, their finances are completely out of control. Jesus Christ can forgive us no matter who we are, no matter what we've done. If that's good news to you this morning, would you say amen? amen? And we get brand new life. Don't let anybody tell you, well, you got to go to church, you got to do some things and kind of earn your way in. No, no, no. And when we talk about being good and other things, that's what we do after we come to Christ. We come to Christ to get cleaned up. Adopt, he adopts us into his family. We'll talk about that. We just want to act like children of our father now. But we come to Christ messed up. No matter who we are, he'll take us and transform us. Oh, this is good news. Listen to this. First Peter 1, Peter in another letter. For, the, for you have been born again. Please circle that. You've been born again. But not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it uh, comes from the eternal living word of God. When you and I become Christians, we begin eternal life right at that moment. We don't have to wait till we die. We can experience new and abundant life right now. In fact, every day as we surrender our lives to him and resurrender our lives to him, he'll empower us. He'll change us from the inside out. And so we implore people constantly, come to Christ. I love praying with people. Ask them, give your sins to Jesus. Give your life to Jesus, but you don't know how messed up I am. It doesn't matter. Just come. And so if you think, well, a godly life's impossible. I've done too much. I've been too far away. Think again. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. He prayed that the Father, his heavenly Father, would forgive the people nailing him to the cross if those folks can be rescued, anybody can. A second promise, God has promised each of us the power to live godly lives through the Holy Spirit. Okay, John, okay, he can clean me up, but you don't know how weak my will is. You don't know how lazy I am. You don't know, every time I try to set a goal, I always quit the next day. My New Year's resolutions aren't even good till January 2nd. Well, I'm not saying you can do this on your own. The good news is the Bible recognizes all this and says we're going to need a whole new power supply. Here are a couple of scriptures that are very clear on this. Acts 1.8, Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. He's told his disciples after rising from the dead, the same power that, rose, that, he, that raised him from the dead lives in them. And he says, I want you to go tell the whole world the good news about me. Make disciples. This is right before he ascended into heaven. Think of this. There's 11 of them. Judas has hung himself. So the 11 disciples are left. He goes, you're going to transform the whole world. Us? Yeah, how are we going to do it? 
Well, here's what he said. Here's the secret. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit, circle the word power there. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And that's exactly what they did. Ordinary people transformed, not by their own gumption, not by pulling themselves up by their own bootstraps, but by surrendering their lives to Jesus, being filled with his spirit and empowered to become people they never thought they could be. And they never would have been on their own. Are you sure you're getting that right, John? Yep. Philippians 2.13, Paul talks about this. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So it doesn't even work to say, but John, I don't even know if I want the right thing. Well, here's what's great. You come to Jesus, say, forgive me, Lord. Wash away my sins. Transform me into the person you want me to be. Not only will he give us the power to live life as we should, he'll give us that desire. And it's so funny. I talked to somebody not long ago, and they had to make themselves start reading a Bible plan. And after they did it a few days, they said it was like the whole thing just came alive to them. And the more they read, the more they wanted to read. The same way when people start to learn to worship. And they come to a, tonight we're having a night of praise here in Prattville and other things. When people come and they go, I didn't know what that would be like. I wasn't sure. I came and all of a sudden I started singing and I go, man, this, this feels like what I was made for. Well, you were, but you just didn't know. And all of a sudden now the desire, now they said, now I listen to worship songs in my car. And then sometimes they sing when they're driving and people are looking at the stoplight going, who's that over there? Well, there's somebody that fell in love with Jesus and he gave him the power and the desire to love him more. Do you want that? I do. I want to grow. I want to be useful for God. I want to become all that God wants me to be. I want to experience his power in my life now, right now, today. And I think you do too. And that's what Peter's writing to people like that. God's given us everything we need for that kind of life. He promised us new life. He's given us the power. Thirdly, God has promised to keep working in us so that we become godly people. Keep working in us. You know, I just read you that verse from Philippians 2.13 that God is working in us. Well, he promises to keep working in us. Listen to the message translation. It's kind of an amplified translation in Romans 8.29. God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those, those of us who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. The son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. We are being conformed to the image of Christ. As we grow and depend on God more, he changes us from the inside out so we all look like little Christ walking around. That's his goal. So that after we've been a Christian for 10 years and people haven't met us, they go, wow, you're completely different. It's as if you've been born again. Imagine that. And that's what happens too. The more we surrender our lives, the more he changes us. He'll change our temper. He'll change our tongue. He'll help us use our time. Man, I'm sounding like a preacher now with three T's in a row there. Okay, but the point is that if you and I want to get on with this, well, we surrender our lives to the Lord. John, I I don't know if I can do it. You can't. He'll give you the power. But I'm not worthy. That's okay. He knew that from the outset. Well, John, I've tried before and I failed. Don't give up. Try again. He hasn't given up on you. I mean, you'll see as we go on, Peter tells us, hey, make every effort. He's going to keep on working on you. Paul said this too in Philippians 1.6. I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. 
There are some things in my life that God has been working on for years, and there's finally a breakthrough. He has to keep working on us. And I just want to say right here, this is why it's so important to understand that God wants us to mature and grow. And Peter is talking about this, that spiritual growth is not an option. It's vital. We want to be useful to the team. I mean, can you imagine being on a football team and not going to training camp? Not wanting to get in shape? Yeah, coach, I want to play, but I don't want to lift any weights. Coach, I want to play, but I don't want to put in those hours memorizing those plays. Coach, I want to play, but I don't want to get sweaty or hot. <laughs> well, you ain't playing, son. Because you wouldn't be, any of, you, be of any use. And so as Christians, we can't just sit there and say, well, Lord, I want to be on the team. Save me, but don't put me in. Don't make me work. Don't make me sweat. I mean, listen, what, uh, this is what Peter talks about here in 2 Peter 1. The more godly we become, the more useful we become. In view of all this, this is continuing on in 2 Peter 1. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Every effort. Christ changes us. Our part is to surrender to him. Our part is to cooperate. I mean, he's our heavenly father. When my earthly father wanted me to ride a bike, he'd run along beside me and hold me for a while, but I had to pedal. If God wants to teach us today, we're talking about goodness, we'll be talking about a bunch of other character traits that God is seeking to develop in each one of us. Well, he's going to come alongside us and empower us. Our part is to pedal. Our part is to say, okay, let's go learn. And as children, we dare not be stubborn or lazy. Listen to what he says. He says, supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. And that means goodness. And please circle that because that's going to be what we're, where I'm headed today. And the first is kind of a stair step here of seven different character qualities God is seeking to develop in each of us. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence or goodness. And moral excellence with knowledge. Knowledge with self-control. Self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. Now you know an outline of our series. God's going to be, we're going to be talking about each one of these, how, how we can cooperate with God to develop these things in our lives. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted and blind, or blind, forgetting they've been cleansed from their old sins. Do you know that God has things for you to do here on this earth before you and I go to heaven? Ephesians 2.10, he's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. I mean, there is a, a, a bad idea floating around, some bad theology floating around here in the Bible Belt South. And I hear it every so often. Some will come to me and go, well, the person's saved and that's all that matters. Well, they got saved and that's all that matters. And I go, I'm glad they got saved, but that's not all that matters. I mean, can you imagine telling a young couple who's getting married, well, you had the wedding and that's all that matters. I mean, we do premarital counseling here and a groom talked to me about it afterward. He said, man, you guys talk a lot more about the marriage than you do the wedding. Why is that? And I go, you'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> you will. You think the wedding's all that matters? Think again, cowboy. You're going to have to grow. You're going to have to learn to listen. You're going to have to learn to become unselfish. You're going to have to learn to put the seat down. You're going to have to learn a whole lot of things. <laughs> and you will. 
Well, in the Christian life, we need to do this too. We go, well, I got saved. No, that's all that matters. So now we just sit here and wait to die. I mean, think how ridiculous that is. And Peter says, that's ridiculous. Those who fail to develop this way, if you don't want to grow, you're short-sighted or blind. You don't understand what we're doing here. There's a season here. We're in the middle of the game. If you want to be useful, you want to get in the game, you got to grow. Grow. I mean, if it was true that after we got saved, we're just waiting to die, wouldn't it make sense we baptize people just to put them under for the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and then just hold them under until they drown? And then we have the funeral right then. I mean, he got saved. He died. He's in heaven because that's all that matters. I mean, they wouldn't sin anymore. And you go, that's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. We weren't saved to sit here. We were saved to be useful. Oh, so we need to grow. Yeah. And that's why we have church, to help each other. Well, I thought you were supposed to go to church just to kill a couple hours till we died, too. Every Sunday, you got to go. I don't know why. Hopefully, this is like, these are training sessions. When we have small groups called connect groups, that's more of the training. When you read your Bible every day, that's part of the training. Oh, those are disciplines. Yes, those are worship services. Yes, those are small group discussions. Yes, to help us grow so we can be useful. Then... Because I understand the scripture, because I know how to praise God, because then when God has challenged me about things, when opportunities come to serve, I'm ready. Coach, you can put me in. You know the play? Yeah, well, get in there. But how can I be useful if I don't know what's going on? Or how can I be useful if I haven't built up any spiritual muscle? Because I didn't go to training camp. That's the life application here. You and I need to help each other train. That's why we do church. That's why we do small groups. That's why we encourage you to read the Bible. That's why we want you to come and bring friends on Sunday morning. I hope you'll be here for each of these sessions. You'll be greatly encouraged. You'll get all kinds of good ideas on how you can grow. But again, all these ideas are here, but they won't do any good unless we make every effort to take advantage of them. That's our part. God will bless us when he gives us an idea. He'll show us how to do it and the strength to do it. And he'll keep working on us till we get it right. But our part is to pedal. Let's go. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now the day of his return is drawing near. If you believe the Lord could come back in our lifetime, well, then why are we fiddling around? Why aren't we busy? I believe the Lord could come back in our lifetime. Well, let's get busy. <laughs> Again, I talked to a young man. I go, he goes, oh, I got plenty of time. I go, really? Do you get emails on how long you're going to live? I don't get those emails. In my position, I do a lot of funerals. Sometimes for people in their 70s and sometimes for people in their teens and some for people that are a lot younger than me and my age. And I will tell you, you and I need to make the most of every single day. Because we don't know how many days we have left. Why wouldn't I be busy so I could be useful with whatever days I have left? Why wouldn't I want to train myself for godliness? It takes nothing to train to be a couch potato. All you got to do is sit on the couch and turn on the TV. 
To be godly, that's going to take some effort. But then I'll be useful. Physical training is good. 1 Timothy 4.8, Paul's writing to Timothy about this. But training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and the life to come, and eternal rewards too. God will reward us for our faithfulness. Jesus promises us this. This is good stuff. And today is just a pep talk. So in that passage we read, it's kind of like seven steps, seven character qualities. The first one, I had you circle it, was moral excellence or or goodness. That's point three on your outline. Godly people are good people. If if God's going to use me, then he can use a good man much sooner than he can use somebody who doesn't know what's going on. He can use a good woman. It's hard to use somebody whose life is so messed up they can't even find their way through the week. And so if we're going to talk about this, there's two dimensions to goodness of moral excellence, which is what that means. First of all, God wants us to be good. Morally excellent. He wants us to be good, to live moral, exemplary lives. And remember... He's going to forgive us for all the sins in the past, give us the power to live such lives, and he's going to keep working on us until we do. So don't say, well, I can't do it. That's why we went through all the promises first. That won't wash here. This is training camp. Drop and give me 20 type of thing. Let's go. We can be good through the power of the Holy Spirit. Our attitudes can change. Our part is to surrender. Well, what are you talking about, John? Well, I'm talking about what Paul was talking about in Ephesians 4 about being good as living of children of light. A couple of paragraphs here, you'll see a whole bunch of practical examples of what we need to surrender every day. Since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. What it means to be a good person is to have renewed thoughts and attitudes, to surrender our minds, to surrender our attitudes. And then we put on our new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. When we ask Jesus into our lives, the Holy Spirit really comes in, and he conforms us to the image of Christ. That's our new nature now. He comes alongside us, changes us. He comes inside us. It's like a supercharge to our conscience, and all of a sudden now our attitudes and our thoughts change completely. Well, like what? Well, like these. So, stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we're all parts of the same body. If you struggle with exaggerating and telling half-truths, I want to remind you that a half-truth is a whole lie. And promising people stuff that you never intend to keep, that's a lie. And if that's something you struggle with, you need to surrender that and say, Lord, that's true. I I can't be useful to you. Why would anybody hear the truth of Christ if I can't uh, make a truthful statement of what time I'm going to show up? Stop telling lies. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down when you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Well, what else would it mean? Well, here's another practical example. We need to have our attitudes change when it comes to anger. If we're rage monsters, I mean, who wants to go to a church like that? Especially if you put it with the first one. Yeah, I just would love to go hang around with angry liars. Please let me come to your church. I mean, it won't... We can't be useful. So if your anger is out of control, confess it to the Lord. Come see one of us. We'll help you. We need to be good. 
If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for hard work, for good hard work, and then give generously to others in need. Well, what are you talking about there? Well, this is called padding your expense report. This is showing up late, leaving early. That's stealing because you're stealing wages for hours you didn't work. Cheating on your income tax, that's stealing from the government. Well, they steal from me. Okay, well. Come on. Don't use foul or abusive language. This is rife in our society today. This means you're going to have to be careful about what kind of TV shows you and I watch. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will bring an encouragement to those who hear them. It wasn't that long ago, my wife and I, somebody recommended a video for us to rent, and so we went and rented it and put it in, and we watched the first five minutes and took it out. They'd already taken the Lord's name in vain five or six times. And later on, the person said, well, hey, how'd you like the movie? I said, we took it back. It's profane. I mean, they took the Lord's name in vain, like, over and over, half a dozen times the first five minutes. They went, they did not. And I go, go watch it again. They watched it. I went, oh, wow, they did. I guess I've gotten desensitized to that. I said, yeah, be careful telling the preacher a cussing movie, okay? That's just a bad thing, okay? I don't, that's not the right way to go, okay? And don't bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he's identified you as one of his own. Guarantee, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. So get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. If God's spoken to you about any of these that triggered it, some in your thoughts or in your conscience here, just mark it in there. In a minute, we'll have a word of prayer. You need to surrender that to the Lord. And say, God, I, I want to get rid of this. I want to be good. And your promises are that you gave me new life, you're going to give me the power to do so, and you'll keep working on me, even when I'm ready to give up. So, Lord, start the work today. I hope you're encouraged by this. God wants us to be good. He'll give us the power to be good. And he's not going to quit working on us till we are good. If that's good news to you this morning, would you say amen? amen? Okay, there's more. Point B, God not only wants us to be good, he wants us to do good. Because when you talk about goodness, goodness is not only... A virtue, being a virtuous person, it's also virtue in action. If you put virtue in action. I mean, how do I know if you're a good person? Well, you have the right attitude, but you also do good things. Good people do good things. I mean, that just makes sense. Well, if God wants us to do good, to who? Well, there are three clear groups. There's more again. I'm just hitting three here. First of all, the Bible says we need to be people who do good to people in need. The Bible says we should do good to people in need. Titus 3. Our people must learn to do good by meeting the urgent needs of others. Then they will not be unproductive. If you and I can help someone, let's help them. If you can help change a tire, help them. If you need to pray with someone, go pray. If you need to go to the hospital to meet with somebody, go to the hospital. It matters. And we know it. You know, if the Holy Spirit's inside of us trying to shape us into the image of God, when we pass up that opportunity to do something, we're driving away going, oh, I should have done that. I should have made that phone call. I should have been there. Can anybody relate to what I'm talking about? You know what the answer to that is? As soon as you realize it, say, Lord, I'm going to apologize and I'm going to go do it now, if you still can. If you still can, go do it now. Say, I'm sorry, I blew it. Can you forgive me? I think the Lord wants me to pray for you. I think the Lord wants me to help you. 
We need to do good to people in need. We need to do good to our enemies. Enemies. Oh, John, seriously? God wants me to do good to people who are mean to me? Mm -hmm. Jesus said this, love your enemies, do good to them. That's not a misprint. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you'll be truly acting as children of the Most High, for he's kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. That's the way Jesus was to you and me. He died on the cross when I was still rebelling against him. He died long before that, and he forgave my sins long before I ever surrendered to him. You too. And he says, I want you to be like me. I'm trying to conform you to the image of Christ. He didn't just love good people. He loved mean people. And if you want to be like, and I want to be like him, we want to do good. We've got to do good to people in need and do good to people who don't deserve it. By the way, nearly every week I pray with someone about this. Nearly every week I have somebody come to see me. How am I supposed to treat a coworker? And let me tell you about her. She is a piece of work. How am I supposed to treat my mom? How am I supposed to treat my dad? Because he is just mean. And we go through this same thing. I'm supposed to love him? I can't love him. I can't stand him. Mm. Did you know that Jesus gave you new life, that he's given you the power to live godly lives through the Holy Spirit? Do you know he'll keep working in you until you get it right? Hmm. Yeah. What's my part? You got to surrender. You got to cooperate. You got to pedal. I hope this is making sense to everybody. All right. God wants us to do good to those in need, to our enemies, basically to everyone. Galatians 6.10 kind of covers it all. Whenever we have the opportunity, opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. Jesus gave us a pretty much an itemized list of the type of things. I mean, these are great examples. When he was telling his disciples, hey, what kind of people will God reward in heaven? People who do good? Here's what he said. Then the king, the one sitting on the throne in heaven, will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you're doing it to me. So what does it look like when we do good? Like that. But John, those are small things. But don't you understand? A person who is known as a good person is consistently doing small things. A cup of water, a visit, a kind word, a thoughtful gift. Help when you're sick, a cup of chicken soup, or bowl chicken soup. All those things matter. They all matter. And if you and I are in tune with God every day, he'll prompt us. He'll push us. And if we blow it, we confess it and say, God, I blew it. Okay, I'm still working on you. Go do it now. I'll give you the power. I gave you a new life. I'm going to keep working on you. My goal is to make you a little bit more like me every single day as long as you live here in this earth. And my friends, that's what God wants for each one of us. Please be encouraged today. Please be spurred on. This is the time. Do you know there were other generations who lived before us? They had their chance to share the good news in this world. And their days are accomplished here. Our days are now. Our days are right now. We dare not waste them. 
couple of notes real quickly. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it's sin. Well, what if I don't do this? It's sin. Well, John, you're pretty black and white. Yeah, it's sin. And we know it's sin. You should have helped him. Yeah. Well, that's all right. No, it's not. Even if your friends tell you it's all right, you go, no, it wasn't. Go make it right today. Note, so let's not get tired of doing what's good. At just the right time, we'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Not that long ago, a guy came up to me and said, I'm just so grateful for Centerpoint Fellowship Church. And I said, why is that? And he goes, because one of his relatives had been attending here and had come to Christ and uh, through involvement in a connect group and other things here. And he said, you have no idea. My aunt and my mom, been praying for their, this was his cousin, had been praying for my cousin for 20 years. 20 years. And finally there was a breakthrough. Don't let anybody tell you that somebody's too far gone. Don't let anybody tell you that God doesn't love certain groups of people. Don't let anybody tell you that somebody's a lost cause. Jesus died on the cross for all of us. And he wants us to keep praying and to keep doing good even to people who don't get it. 20 years. And there's rejoicing in heaven. So, I want to live a useful life. I believe you do too. One thing we're going to work on here is goodness. Now, to give you some more concrete ideas of how this might be lived out, we had a group that just returned from a mission trip to Peru. They did lots of good things while they were there. And the idea was that if they helped meet needs of people and did good things, then that would give them the right to be heard. And it did. And they were able to tell many people about Jesus. You'll see. Just please watch this video. My name is Matt Bostic. I work with the students at the Centerpoint Pike Road location. And this mission trip to Peru was fantastic. We went with the intention to be a blessing to the city of Wicon in Peru. Our students had a chance to do a VBS in the afternoon for hundreds of kids that ranged from ages 3 to 15. We had a chance to go into the school system and build a few classrooms for some teachers for underprivileged children. We had a chance to take the students into hospitals where patients had just come from surgery or getting ready to go into surgery. We had a chance to hike up thousands of feet into a remote village and knock on homes and introduce ourselves and simply ask the question, how can we pray for you? We went there with the intention of being a blessing, but what we found out was that we were the ones who were being blessed. Recently, we got to go on a Peru mission trip, and it was one of the greatest experiences ever for me. Um, we did so many things and met so many people, but like at the end of each day, we had a VBS with some of the kids. And there were so many kids, uh, you know, we got to play games, play soccer, talk about Jesus. And some of these kids didn't know who God was. And watching so many of these kids come and accept God as their Lord and Savior, it was one of the greatest things in my life. This past week when I went to Peru, I was given the opportunity to pray for a woman who was due that day with her first child. She was having a girl. She was alone. She was scared, very nervous, becoming a first-time mom. We got to lay hands on her and pray for her for her delivery to go smoothly and for her to have peace. And we were done. She gave us hugs. She told us thank you. And the doctors called her back, and she had her baby. 
While I was in Peru, we got to visit a special needs school and we got to serve the children snacks. And um, it doesn't sound like much, but as we were serving the children snacks, I mean, their faces lit up. They were so appreciative. They were so thankful. And it was just amazing to see how grateful they were for something that's so small that we take for granted. So it ended up being one of my favorite things. When I was down in Peru, I met these two or three little girls the first day and really just befriended them and throughout the week did things to them like I let them paint my nails and we played with chalk and bubbles and um, at the end of the week they came up to me and they hugged me and gave me this letter and um, it said how much they loved spending time with me and thanking me for all the smiles I brought them and um, it was just cool to see how doing such little things with them really let them see Christ's love. My favorite thing that we did was actually perform some maintenance on the soccer court where there was just a short fence that really wasn't keeping the balls from going over and um, it, so it just kind of became a frustration for some of the community members. Um, the cool thing was we got to raise that and so basically the cool thing about that to me is that when people look at that and when people kick a ball and it hits the net they say wow like the church did something good for the community so it was awesome that by doing that by raising a fence that was the way we could share God's love to people. So the plane flight home was great. Listen to all of our stories and how our perspective have changed. Why can't we serve in the United States like we did in Peru? Why can't we visit the homes here, the school systems here, the marketplace here with the same mission to share the love of Christ? And we all decided that there's nothing stopping us but us.